الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم in the last gathering we spoke about the necessity of suhba for the common believer and for the believer that's seeking to advance suhba being physical presence and companionship and how in today's day and age where virtually everything has become virtual um and uh, we're moving more away from we move we've moved away from face to face communication and heart to heart communication and how that's been replaced by barriers right be it cell phone uh, cell phone barriers or be it some other communication barrier and we discussed how it's possible to function in that way from a human standpoint and from the standpoint of functionality but for a muslim there's this concept this idea this notion of suhba which requires physical presence and there's no substitute for physical presence and we highlighted how this is what defined who the sahaba were that the uh, sahaba were people who were defined because of their suhba and even at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we mentioned that there even at the time of the prophet there were people who never came into the physical company of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam yet they lived at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but they were not given the status of a sahabi and sahaba are people who whom radiyallahu anhum wa radu anhum allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has um has has pleased with so we spoke about this extensively we talked about how uh, in today's day and age with Uh, despite the way the world is moving we should take a step back and and look look into our own lives and see how much face to face communication we have with people and that means people of piety and taqwa that can help us advance that means people of uh people of maybe lower social status or people that are poor and how their company can benefit us uh looking at uh, gatherings physical gatherings and we talked about how none of this can be replaced this can't be replaced through virtual communication you can't benefit from a gathering uh, sorry you cannot benefit from a talk sorry again, when you're present in a gathering the benefit is more so in the gathering than it is from the words that are uttered from that uttered from that gathering and as a result youtube can't replace things and audio files cannot replace cannot replace it benefit comes from suhba and companionship the words are just an excuse to get together and and sit in one gathering so this is this we talked about in detail last time so you could catch up if you'd like if you haven't already now the reason we bring this up mainly is because there's often excuses that people have that you know I don't need to come because I can or I don't need to I don't need face to face I don't need heart to heart presence I can I can get this I can get the information some other way I can read a book I can listen to a talk online or something like that now that's not an excuse that we can make but there is a couple of exceptions and that's what i want to talk about today there there are just a few exceptions uh, and the reason to to mention these is because as much as we may strive toward physical presence sometimes there'll be opportunities or circumstances that will prevent us from allowing us to be physically present and this often brings a lot of frustration into people's minds and people's hearts but there's no re- there's no need to get frustrated right if a person has a genuine reason for being absent and when i'm saying absence i'm talking absence in general right when a person's kind of off the scene or not able to not able to part, not able to 
have as much suhba in general as they would like, uh, that's okay, as long as there's some genuine reasons. And there's really two that come to mind. The first we learn actually from a story at the time of the Prophet and maybe we've mentioned this in a prior gathering, and that is that once the Prophet was sitting with the companions, and in particular there was Umar and Ali who were present, and he began to talk to them about a, about a person. And he told them that there will be a person, uh, he told them, he said that there is a person by the name of Owais, Owais uh, bin Amr al-Qarani. He said there'll be a person. There's a person by this name that if you come, if if he if you end up interacting with him, you should seek his forgiveness. Sorry, you should seek. You should ask him to make du'a for your forgiveness. You should ask him to make du'a for your forgiveness. Who? This is the Prophet who's telling the Sahaba, who no one can compete with, and in particular in the group of Sahaba are the likes of Umar radiAllahu anhu and Ali radiAllahu anhu, and he's telling these people that you should seek forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this person. So they're bewildered. Like, how is there such a person? I mean, obviously, the Sahaba, they are very humble. But still, to think that there's someone else that they should seek forgiveness from, they're in the company of the Prophet the Prophet can, make forgiveness, can seek forgiveness for them. They're in the compa- uh, company of other great Sahaba. They could make dua for them. But the Prophet is telling them, make dua from someone who's not a Sahabi and not a Prophet. So they said, uh, how, so they asked the Prophet like, how is it possible? He said, this person is so beloved to Allah that when this person raises his hands in dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never turns those hands down. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never turns those hands down. Now, who was this person? Right? He was, but his name was Uwais al-Qarani. He was from the, 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 tri- the family, you can say, of Qaran, from Yemen. And his story was such that, look, anyone that was alive at the time of the Prophet their desire was to come into the company of the Prophet Like, they would want to sit for hours and days and just live with the Prophet that, that was the status quo. Everybody wanted this, right? When he arrived in Medina Munawwara, they were reaching out to him and his camel so that it would land in his place so that they could be in his, the company of the Prophet But some people had circumstances that prevented them from doing so. And Owais uh, was one of them. So he was from Yemen and he, he had two issues. One was that he suffered from a disease that was very common at the time. Now it's treatable, but back then it was very common. That was leprosy which is basically a, an infectious disease that completely distorts the body and the skin and the nerves. And when you look at a person with leprosy, especially an untreated leprosy, it, it's, a very, um, it's a very hideous appearance physically uh, and striking, if you will. Number two was that his father died when he was very young. So he was left with the responsibility of caring for his mother. Now, his mother was blind. His mother was blind. So he had to take care of his mother, essentially 24-7 supervision. Right when this was the need that she had, maybe at night that was the exception. So he had accepted Islam when envoys had come to Yemen. He had accepted Islam, but he was never able to leave the side of his mother, so that he could come into the company of the Prophet Think about that. If the Prophet were alive today, right? I can guarantee the vast majority of the community, if not the entire community would within a matter of a couple of days purchase a ticket no matter where in the world the Prophet ﷺ, they would go there. You would probably walk, you know, thousands of miles if you could spend a minute with the Prophet. ﷺ. Why? Because you're granted the status of a Sahabi. 
He was alive at the time of the Prophet, and he was within striking distance. He's in Yemen, Prophet in, in Mecca, in, or in, uh, in Medina, not far. I mean, doable, right? There's constantly caravans that are going, but he's restricted because he was at the service of his mother. So he wasn't unable to come into the suhbah, the companionship of the Prophet And he, the Prophet died, and he never met the Prophet Now, this is a person who never met the Prophet and the Prophet is speaking so highly of this person. So what happens is the Prophet passes away, Abu Bakr's Khilafah comes. After Abu Bakr's Khilafah comes, Umar anhu's Khilafah comes. Umar who's every year he's thinking that there's this person the Prophet mentioned, his name was Awais, and he said that I should go seek this person's dua. So every year at the time of Hajj, when all of the Muslims would collect from across the peninsula they would and, and beyond, they would come and they would gather. So every year Umar would be seeking, where is this Awais? Where is this Awais? And he'd look and try to find him, but he couldn't find him. Now one year, uh, he this is I think the 10th year, the, one of the final years of his Khilafah, he gets together all the hujjaj and he tells all the hujjaj that okay everyone stand up so all the hujjaj stand up all the hujjaj stand up and who asks okay all of those that are from Yemen stay standing and all of those that are from elsewhere sit down so the people from Yemen stay standing and the people that are not from Yemen they're all seated now the Prophet says okay whoever is from the Qabila of Murad the tribe of Murad which was the tribe that Owais was from he says, you remain standing, the rest of you from Yemen sit down. So they all sat down. There's a small group of people that were from Murad that were still standing. So then Umar anhu says, okay, all of you from Murad sit down, except if you're from the, you could say, the, the clan or the family of Qaran. So one man remained standing. One man remained standing. So Umar anhu said, okay, are you from Qaran? He said, yes, I'm from Qaran. He said, do you know Uwais? He said, yeah, I know Uwais. He's my, he's my nephew. He's my brother's son. So he said, you know Uwais, he said, take me to, he's like, he's like, you know Uwais, he said, yeah, I know Uwais, my brother's son. So he says to Umar radiallahu anhu, I know him, but like, why are you asking about him? He's kind of a, he's kind of a crazy guy. So that's what he said, he's kind of like, he's kind of a weirdo type thing, right? Some, something to that extent. Uh, and so Uwais radiallahu anhu, he was a very humble person. He was a very, um, very simple person, right? He was at, like, you could say lower social status, wasn't someone who was trying to seek you know, the, the dunya or anything like that. He was comfortable just being who he was, just a regular old guy. So he was saying, like, what do you have to do with him? So he said, tell me where this person is. So he says that he's at Arafah. The Hajjaj were all with Umar on the right, but he said he's at Arafah and he's grazing the camels, right? So you think you could just get a sense of what his personality is like, right? Like, he's like, all the Hajjaj are in one place and Ibadah and all these things, and this person's just simple old guy grazing camels, so Umar anhu and Ali radiallahu anhu, they race toward Arafah. Because now this is their opportunity to seek the dua of this person whom the Prophet commanded that they seek dua from. So they race and they get to Arafah and they find that there's this person who's, who's, who's praying like nafil salah under a, like a, under a tree. And around him are a few camels and they're just kind of circling around and doing their thing. So always... Uh, Recognize that there's people there, so he said, "Okay, I need to finish my salah quickly." So he finished up his salah, and he looked up, and he, he didn't know who these people were, right? He didn't know who Umar radiAllahu anhu was, what he looked like. He just knew he had heard of him. He didn't know who Ali, the cousin of the Prophet, one of the earliest of the companions, of the Prophet, he had heard about this great person, but he didn't know what he looked like. So they came up to him and they asked him, uh, "You know, who are you?" So he says, "Oh, I'm just a, I'm a laborer. I'm a worker." That's just who I am. He said, so they said, okay, what's your name? So he says, I'm, I'm a servant of Allah. Right? 
I'm just a servant of Allah. So they said, no, no, no. What's your, you know, mother's, mother? Uh, what was the name given by your mother? So he's like, who are you to ask me? Like, what's it to you? <laughs> he's like, what's it to you? He didn't know who they were. He's like, why are you asking? So they said, are, are you Awais al-Qarani? He said, yeah, I'm Awais al-Qarani. And then they said, we're such and such, we're Umar and Ali, and we came to you. And he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't know this was you. So then he, uh, they came to him and they said, okay, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Because remember, the Prophet told them that when this person raises his hands, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never turns them down. They said, raise, their hand, raise your hands and make, and make the offer us and ask for, ask for our forgiveness. So he said, me? He said, I'm in the company of Umar and I'm in the company of Ali and you are Sahaba, the Prophet and not just Sahaba, the closest of, he knew who they were, like in terms of what their, you know, their uh, status was. You're asking me to make dua for you, right? Umar radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said about him, if there were to be a prophet after me, it would be Umar. It would be Umar. So now someone who's the, not a prophet, but someone who the Prophet said could have been a prophet or would have been a prophet is now asking me, a simple old person who's grazing camels on the side, who's never actually come into the company of the Prophet you're asking me to make dua for you. And Ali, you're the cousin of the Prophet right? You're, you're, the, um, uh, you're from the family of the Prophet And you're asking me to make dua for you. And they said, that the Prophet said, that when you raise your hands, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't turn them down. So make du'a for us. So make du'a for us. This was the status of someone who wasn't a Sahabi. Meaning, that there were people who had the companionship of the Prophet had the suhbah of the Prophet and there were people who didn't have suhbah of the Prophet and the people that had suhbah, this goes contrary to everything we were talking about last time, but again, it, it makes sense if you put it into context. These people were being told to go to someone who never was in the company of the Prophet to make the offer them. It shows us that there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. One exception, of course, being service of people. And in particular, service of parents and service of family members. And there are circumstances that arise in which we are held back, so to speak, for this. But we actually are not held back. And we learn this from the dua, uh, from the story of the Prophet ﷺ, right? He's, he never was able to achieve the status of companionship, but the qualities that he possessed were those of companions. And, and so much so that, you know, there, there was the fact that the companions had made dua, you, can, you, you learn a lot from that. Now, he's not a Sahabi, right? So his status is not at the level of a Sahabi. But a lot of what the Sahaba had gotten and the praise that they had gotten, this was given to Awais. Uh, so now when uh, the uh, so now now once the companions had seen that Umar and Ali had asked for dua, now all of them started coming. So he told uh, Umar and Ali radiallahu anhu, that look, uh, I'll make dua for you, but don't spread this word. Don't spread the word. Don't tell other people. And why? He's just a simple person. Like if it was you and I, and we someone in the Prophet said something about us, people, every all these hajjaj came for hajj. Tell them, hey, look, this is the place to to seek your du'a. You know, don't worry about Jabal Rahma. Come, come, come to me, and I'll I'll make du'a for you. Right? Like this would be our attitude. But this person, what does he say? Listen, just if you don't mind, just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. So there's a lesson in humility you also take from this. But eventually, a lot of Sahaba found out, so they all came. And when he knew they were coming because it was the hukum of the Prophet to come, he would make dua for them. 
you know, in another narration it comes that on the day of judgment, this person was so special to Allah, that on the day of judgment, Awais uh, al-Qarani, when all the people of, when the people of Jannah will be told, okay, stand up and now proceed toward Jannah. And throngs of people will be going toward Jannah. And Awais will be amongst them. And then he'll be stopped and said, stop here, stop here, wait here, wait here. And then he'll say, wait here? What do you mean wait here? Why, why should I wait here? I want to go with the people that are going ahead. He said, just wait here a second. So all the people, the people that have to go to Jannah will be going to, will be going to Jannah. Then it'll be told, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will instruct, it'll be told to Awais al-Qarani, you have to stay here. So they all go. So then he says to, uh, it, said, it said to Awais al-Qarani that you've been stopped here for the purpose of the shafa'ah, the intercession of the people of Jahannam that are waiting here. So wherever you point, lift your finger, and whomever your finger lands upon all of those people, you, you will have interceded for and all of these people will enter into Jannah. SubhanAllah, this was the status, not of a Sahabi, not of a Prophet, of a Tabi'i. Now, what was the status? Because this person was in the service of their parents, in the service of their mother. Now, he was held back, right? Because of something, you often hear this, and I get a lot of, you know, inquiries about this. That like, you know, I have this responsibility, that responsibility. Well, then attend to that responsibility, that supersedes suhbah. Like, you can't, you don't, you don't, you don't compromise in that regard. This is your opportunity that Allah has given you at this present time. Take full advantage of it and provide that service. And whatever you would have gotten from the gatherings or from the suhbah that you were seeking, you will get it anyway. Right? You will get it anyway. The other group of people that you kind of see this with is the people that are oppressed. Right? Now, people that are oppressed are under difficult or dire circumstances. Or even in your own life, there's circumstances where you feel like you really you're weighted down by something or another. And you constantly are missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It's okay. No need to be frustrated. You know, the Prophet ﷺ said, اِتَّقِي دَعْوَةَ الْمَظْلُومِ That fear the dua, the supplication of the oppressed. Because between the, the oppressed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no hijab. There's no hijab. When the oppressed person raises their hands and asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, there's no hijab. Similar to the status of, of a waste. Right? There is no hijab between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepting that dua. So, yes, in most circumstances, most of the time it's our own laziness or it's our own misunderstanding, thinking that we can remove, we can replace suhbah and substitute, substitute suhbah, substitute physical presence, substitute heart-to-heart company with something else, be it videos online or audio online or just, you know, altogether just missing gatherings, missing the company of people of piety and taqwa. Right. For the most part, it's our own laziness. For the most part, it's our own, um, you know, it's our own uh, thinking that, that construes it. But there are a select few exceptions. And in particular, if you're caught up serving other people, be it your parents, be it your family, be it people in the community that need your help, and that was preventing you from this suhbah, that's okay. And, and in fact, you should attend to that responsibility and not become frustrated over it. In fact, there's more reward in you doing that than actually trying to, trying to do the opposite. And, and similarly, if you're in t- difficult situations, when you feel like you're you feel like you're one of the oppressed, in the sense of you're being weighted down by some major responsibility you have, or some major difficulty that you're that you're you know that you're that you're dealing with, it's okay. This is not this is not something you become frustrated over. And we learn this through the uh, through the uh, story of Awais and through the hadith of the Prophet so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you united tawfiq uh, to appreciate the importance of suhbah, the value of suhbah, and, uh, and, and that suhbah is, is irreplaceable. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forgive us uh, for missing such opportunities. 
Uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, provide us with many such opportunities. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us whatever benefit we would have gotten from suhbah when we are in those circumstances, when we are unable to obtain suhbah. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَانَا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ So inshallah we'll break for the Aswa Salah and then after the uh, Fard we'll just complete the dhikr inshallah and then we'll, and then we'll wrap the gathering.